All right, we're rolling in five, four, three, three, two, two one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for grown-ups. Harry, you're a wizard. I'm a what? Gasped Harry. A wizard, of course. And a thumping good one, I'd say. Once you've been trained up a bit. I'm Alex Dallenberg. I'm Heather Price-Wright. Here we are, episode numero uno. So, Heather, what's the, what's the, what are we doing here? Immediately, you should know, this podcast will contain adult language and themes. Adult themes such as horrific child abuse. Murder. Hella murder. A lot of murder. So much murder. Adults who are not doing their due diligence for the children in their um, <laughs> gross, cr- like criminal negligence. Criminal let's be real. negligence. Dragons. Dragons. Goblins. Dra- dragons and goblins. And True. we will be cursing about it, yeah. most likely. Point so, being, yeah. not so most kids. likely. One hundred percent. Yeah. Anyway, this podcast will contain explicit language and adult themes. Mm-hmm. The other thing that it will contain is spoilers galore. Right. So we're dealing with the books, really clumps of chapters at a time and book by book, but we're going to assume that you've either read all of Harry Potter, maybe as a kid, maybe recently, or at least been exposed to it because it's a massive cultural phenomenon yeah, if you and haven't you picked it up through osmosis. But anyway, there'll be, yeah, there'll be spoilers. There'll definitely be spoilers. If you haven't read the books and you haven't seen the movies and you care about spoilers, then catch up, basically. I'm not going to say don't listen to this because that's crazy, right. but you should Maybe listen. Maybe you'll never read the books and this will be your only introduction to Which Harry Potter. Which would be super funny. It'd be funny. It'd be weird. Um, you might get a really disjointed yeah. idea of what happens in these books. The basic deal is we're going to have a book club. It's going to be great. We're going to go through the books and we'll assign ourselves and you, dear listeners, just chapter sets, basically, so for every episode, probably like three to five chapters per episode. So we are starting with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And this first episode, we're going to do chapters one through five, and that's The Boy Who Lived, The Vanishing Glass, The Letters to No One, The Keeper of the Keys, and Diagon Alley. I forgot how good the chapter titles are. The chapter titles are amazing. They're they, super wonderful. I, As a kid, it would always infuriate me when books didn't have chapter titles. Ugh. It actually still kind of infuriates me. Yeah, yeah here's an have, assertion from uh, The Quibbler. All books should have titles for all of their chapters. Yeah. What none are you this, doing if it's just none numbers? Just one Chapter period. 32. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah, bullshit. Don't do that. Uh, should we get up to speed on what's happening? Oh, oh, so this would be the point where if you want to read along... Pause it now and uh, go read those five chapters. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. In chapters one through five, and I'm going to try to do 30 seconds. Uh, Do a minute. Do a minute? Yeah. All right. In a minute. In one minute, we meet Vernon Dursley. He's real freaked out because there's some strange feline behavior in his neighborhood. He goes to work. He sees weird people out and about. But, you know, it's not like your normal strange commuters. They're all in uh, cloaks and stuff. Uh... Mean, uh, later that night, Minerva McGonagall, Albus Dumbledore, out in front of his house. Minerva McGonagall is the cat. She's the cat. <laughs> BT dubs. 
talking about the end of the Wizarding War. They got this kid, Harry Potter. His parents are collateral damage, assassinated by Lord Voldemort. Somehow, he survived. They're dropping him off with his aunt and uncle. Minerva's like, whoa, these people seem terrible. Dumbledore's like, deal with it. I know everything. Fast forward, 11 years. Harry Potter, horribly abused, living in a cousin, covered. His cousin, Dudley Dursley, real fat and mean. They get to go to the zoo through, a, Harry gets to go through a zoo through a variety of logistical problems where they can't leave him behind. They see a snake. Harry gets to talk to the snake. That's not normal. Dudley shoves him over. Glass disappears. Uh, am I explaining this okay? Yeah, he sticks the snake on Dudley. Yeah, well, he didn't stick no. him on the snake. Because Harry's nips. a fair-minded person. Yeah, yeah. The, the, anyway. Then Harry starts getting. Well, we're way past a minute on this uh, this recap. The first. It doesn't the, matter. Yeah, it's very dense. Well, so keep going. So okay. then Harry starts getting these letters. These letters. He's never gotten letters never before. Never gotten a letter before. He doesn't even have a library card, so they can't even be from the library. Right. That's a cute detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vernon is like. Fuck no with these letters. We gotta get out of there's the explicit language yeah. coming out. <laughs> Vernon's like, fuck no with these letters. We gotta get out of here because these letters cannot get to Harry. And Harry's like, why? Who are they coming from? But Vernon goes psychotic. They drive to um, the middle of nowhere and then they take a leaky boat to a lake and then they sleep um, in a lake and then they sleep, what, in like a hut on a rock? Man, I don't even know. But then Hagrid shows up, grabs Harry. He's like, you're a wizard. You're a wizard. You're a wizard. They go shopping. Harry finds out then that he's been admitted to uh, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Then they go shopping for wizard stuff. Harry gets a wand. And an owl. Hedwig. And an owl. Hedwig. And then he has to go back to his abusive aunt and uncle for until term starts. Yeah. So anyway, that... That's, yeah. that's everything that happens. So basically, these... For the first five chapters are incredibly dense. They're exposition heavy. But they're not in a lovely, exposition no, 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 heavy. No, no, but in a lovely like, way. Right. They're not... She's not like, and then Laura Voldemort came and he killed... The, like, she uses so many wonderful devices to get us up to speed on, like, this world. She starts with Vernon. Right. Yeah, it's incredibly economical. It is incredibly she, economical. And she sort the, of parachutes you into a world in which what's real is... Or what you think is the only thing, the only world that exists is normal. The opening scenes with Vernon are so great because she also gets, well, she gets across that, you know, Vernon is super, the most muggle person you could imagine. But he can, even even he. word, muggle. Right. Like, it's so perfect. But even he, you get a sense immediately of the stakes of the conflict with Lord Voldemort. Because even Vernon who is just so out of touch with anything abnormal, realizes that something weird is going on. Yeah. Which is incredible, because he's also the kind of person that would be real freaked out by a strange cat uh, just in his neighborhood, even if it wasn't magical, but damn. That's the strangest cat. It's a legit... It's Professor It's McGonagall. a legit witch, um, is the cat. A corollary of the like early on world building in these chapters... As I reread them, preparing for this, I realized that as when I was a kid, when I first read them, I didn't. I don't think I realized how sad they are. Like how sad Harry's circumstances are. You just sort of, as a kid, you kind of accept. Here's a child to whom horrible things have happened, and he's about to go on a grand adventure. 
because that's such a trope. They're quite upsetting. They are, but they're upsetting in the way that like Matilda is upsetting or mm -hmm. like, I guess all Roald Dahl, like Roald right, Dahl is right. incredibly and each, upsetting. Each of the books kind of opens with the Dursley, the Roald Dahlish like set piece. And this book establishes the Dursleys as these sort of ultimate gaps in magic, like these ultimate black holes of anything magical or wonderful. And she establishes that with such wonderful little details, like all Petunia Dursley ever wants to do is gossip about the neighbors. Like they're free of imagination. They're free of empathy. So then she sets off this dichotomy where the place in the world where there's color and interest and magic is literally the magical world, which I think works incredibly it's very well. Yeah, it's very Wizard of Oz. It is very Wizard yeah, of Oz. It's like he- Classic. He, you, Hagrid shows up and it's in color all of a sudden. Uh -huh. This is a theme that I think about in these books a lot because Harry is a, is a traumatized young person. So many adults expect that to like be like no big deal in a way that's sort of absurd but in a way that sort of has to operate that way for these books to be good, you have to have a lot of adults expecting a lot of a kid whose life is, who's hideously abused, who's lost the only people who he knows for sure ever loved him, and who has spent 11 years totally, totally, totally unloved. Yeah, that's that's an incredibly heavy way to start. Uh, that's so heavy, to start but start these books. But, but she does it with such a light touch. Uh -huh. Oh, it's marvelous. And it makes the diagonally scenes so it's incredible. You just so really feel rich, and it's like yeah, Harry you really is like, feel joy. He's coming for to Harry. life. You yeah. do when Harry finds out he's a wizard. It's the dream, you know. Uh -huh. You have you're a kid with a drab, dumb, boring life. Even if you have two great parents, every kid is like, ugh, is this all there is? And then, like, Harry finds out not only is this not all there is, but what there actually is is literal magic. Yeah. You can do magic. You get to go with a giant man and buy a fucking wand. It almost seems obvious to say, but hey, that's what makes these books great. That's what makes these books like, so yeah. great. Harry Potter is good because magic is in them, but that's true. It has to, it just has to be stated. It's not just good because magic is in them, but these first chapters yeah. are good because every young person's dream comes true. And that is that somebody will come and tell you that your stupid, boring, sad, angsty existence is not only not real, but is a front for an incredible, magical world that you get access to now, and you get to be different, and you get to be special, and you get to buy a big white owl, and she sends your fucking mail. We also have been thinking about how in these first five chapters, you get so many, like, really classic Harry Potter moments. Yeah, I mean, she's piling on. The, the set pieces come fast and furious. Fast and furious. Early, early on. Harry releasing the boa constrictor is honestly, that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. Why? I mean, what makes it one of your favorite scenes? Um, it's just, the, it's this, well, first of all, the snake stuff. I guess this is actually not really a spoiler, but it becomes really important. Yeah. Harry's ability to talk to snakes, turns out, is not just a function of being a wizard. That's like a super special thing that we will get to in the next book, I guess. That's book two. Yeah, that's Chamber of Secrets. But it's just, 
it's this moment where it's a revenge scene in a really fun way. Like, Dudley's being a dick. <laughs> and so Harry's like, I bet you're you're super comfortable tapping on that glass when you think that, that Boa Constrictor can't get at you. But, like, watch this. It's a great Harry character moment because you get so much of his humanity. Because right. Harry's not actually, like you said, he's not actually sicking the snake on Dudley. No, no. He finds out the snake says he's he, never been to Brazil. He just wants to go to, he just wants. He just, he was bred in captivity. And he, he goes, thanks amigo and it's just this really nice moment for Harry and it gives you a sense of what kind of person he's going to be like right off the bat somebody who's clever and funny and genuinely not vindictive but with a temper but with a temper with a temper that um, makes things happen that shouldn't yeah Um, and he's empathic and he's strange and he can talk to snakes heir of Slytherin what and then of course Vernon losing his mind. Vernon. So good. I for, forget how crucial Vernon is to those first five chapters, even more He's than... He's like or, the main character yeah. in the first one, <laughs> which sucks. Um, <laughs> I, one of my favorite lines was when he's looking at the cat and he thinks, is that normal cat behavior? Because he's he's so, like, checked out. He has no yeah. idea what a cat actually like, acts like. Well, and like. he's so <laughs> obsessed with making sure that everything mm-hmm. is regular. Rather than being like, damn, like I should check out what's going on with that cat. His only his only motivation, his only obsession is like moving the needle back to normal. He also just has no idea how a cat actually No. Behaves. Well, there's also that great line where he says the cat was reading a map and then he says then he has to stop himself and say like looking, looking at a map and close <laughs> up the little gap in his brain that allowed for something magical to like yeah. exist. You really you get into his head. I Ugh, I'd forgotten perfectly. I'd forgotten that. Uh, which is why it's so great when he goes ape shit about goes, the letters. God, when he gets completely unhinged. And he hilariously, despite the fact that he does know that magic exists, which you forget, you know? Right, like, right. She, well, because he knows after the, the Boa event. He knows. He perceives what's mm-hmm. happening. Well, and, you know, Petunia's sister was a witch, and she, you know, came back from... She even says she came back with pockets full of frog spawn doing tricks, and so they know that magic exists. Right. But somehow Vernon's idea of magic doesn't include, like, he's just like, if we just throw these letters away, these people who are literal magicians, yeah, they, they live they'll in this, just go away. They live in this weird state of acceptance and denial where it both doesn't exist, but it should also be crushed out of Harry altogether. You know, it, it's kind of... Is it is it bad to relate that to the Republicans? <laughs> But, no, but there's uh, something there's something Trumpian about that to me. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Lie. Well, actually, one of the best tweets uh, in the Brexit. No, that show- wasn't a tweet. That was me saying that. That I thought the Dursleys were pro leave. No, that somebody tweeted that. Okay, and you anyway. sent it to me. Oh. Yeah. Really? I thought yeah. I came up with that. And on if my you own. no, you didn't come up with that on your it. own. Sorry. <laughs> it was a tweet that all three Dursleys voted leave, and if you. Don't believe that you didn't understand Harry Potter, basically. Yeah, or the Brexit. Yeah. Uncle Vernon's like unhinged obsession with getting away from the letters right. is hysterical. The scene where Harry like is trying to go down and get the mail before Vernon gets down there, and it turns out Uncle Vernon is sleeping in front of the mail <laughs> slot. You're like, this is a man unraveling. The hilarity in it is that 
he's doing adventurous things he never would like that's do so true or countenance he's like, like we don't go on vacation dad what yeah. the fuck i have to watch I mean, my they television take shows on a, on a leaky boat he takes to, like, them- a, i always want to know like she, she never really explains but geographically where do they go i don't know the isle of Wight. you know because in the yeah but like i don't know what that i don't is. think that's no i don't, I don't know think what that's that how is. you get there you're I thinking legit- isle of Wight because marge is vacationing on and then, of course, you get, in these first five chapters, you get possibly the most iconic Harry, Mo- Harry Potter moment ever. You're a wizard, Harry. Mm-hmm. Which honestly sends chills up my spine every time I read or listen to that line. Because talk about living the dream. That's the thing. Some Somebody comes and says what you've been wanting to hear your entire yeah, life. It's the Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. <sighs> Hagrid. Let's talk about Hagrid, because we meet Hagrid. Hagrid is, he's a great first wizard because physically he actually is a lot like Vernon. You know, like he's large and imposing. And he even has that moment. There's even a great moment where he's reading the Daily Prophet and he's like, ah, Ministry of Magic, mucking things up as usual. So, you know, he's even kind of, he's even kind of small magic government. Like I imagine Vernon, (laughs) you know, I imagine Vernon reading the paper and is like, ah, it's great that you get this physically outsized character. Like, you get this person who is literally enormous. And, it, like, it brings the enormity of the... And, like, the scale of what Harry is, like, destined to and born to into just, like, crashing relief when he, like, bangs down the door and <laughs> he flew to this island in the middle of the sea. And then he... Freaks out all the Dursleys, and just he's he's such a perfect embodiment of the grandeur that Harry is being met with, and the grandeur of the world that he gets to inhabit. And he brings Harry's first birthday cake. Aww, that's a tearjerker. That scene is so beautiful. Harry's never had a birthday cake, and it's like all squashed, and he's like sitting <laughs> on it, but it's fine. And he makes him sausages. And the other thing that's great about that scene is there's here comes somebody who's caring for Harry. Right. It's a, such a relief. After, it's such a relief. It really I is. Mean, that, that trip to the zoo, that's like that's white. bleak. That's white knuckle. I'm like white knuckling uh, through it for I know. Harry. Poor guy. So then Hagrid shows up, yeah, and he's a caregiver and he's funny and he's huge and he'll protect Harry. Although I do have to say, there's this hilarious set of exchanges. This where, is a quibble. This is one of our yeah. first minor quibbles. This is like. This is a more slightly higher Medi- than minor. Medium quibble. We call we're calling this podcast the Quibbler. First of all, for reasons many of you know, like looking at you, Luna Lovegood, but also because uh, we are huge Harry Potter fans. But we have some we have some quibbles. Some so, yeah, some quibbles, have, large and small. Um, so one of them is this great scene where Hagrid is telling Harry the story of his parents and kind of like rehashing everything that we learned from Minerva and Albus Dumbledore in the first. Um, chapter and Vernon Dursley pipes up and he says basically he says your parents got what was coming to them getting themselves mixed up in all this magical nonsense they were no good nicks they were trash and they deserved to die and Hagrid's like hey now like you're pushing the envelope here that's not a great thing to say I you, you shouldn't really tell an orphan with the extensive world is trauma better off without his parents. Without his dead parents. And later on, Hagrid mentions Albus Dumbledore, and Vernon Dursley says, calls him a crackpot. And Hagrid 
loses his goddamn mind. Yeah. I am not paying for some crackpot old fool to teach him magic tricks, yelled Uncle Vernon. But he had finally gone too far. Hagrid seized his umbrella and whirled it over his head. Never, he thundered, insult Albus Dumbledore in front of me. He brought the umbrella swishing down through the air to point at Dudley. There was a flash of violet light, a sound like a firecracker, a sharp squeal, and the next second Dudley was dancing on the spot with his hands clasped over his fat bottom, howling in pain. When he turned his back on them, Harry saw a curly pig's tail poking through a hole in his trousers. I'm going to take minor offense at you telling yeah. ha Harry that his parents deserved to die. <laughs> right, well, but I will turn your son into a fucking farm animal if you call this random guy that you don't know a yeah. crackpot. Don't ever talk about my boss like that. Um, yeah, Hagrid's got some... Everybody in this entire world has some weird stuff with Dumbledore. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a lot, you uh -huh. guys, because people... We're kind of giving Dumbledore and McGonagall short shrift so far. McGonagall's amazing. Dumbledore is like a mess, kind of. I don't know. We'll get to that. Do you like the put-outer? I don't know. I have no real feelings about the put-outer. It's like a... It's like a... It's magic. I, what I like is Dumbledore's got all these props in the first scene. He's got the crazy watch with the planets... And, and then he has lemon just, drops. And then he has lemon, yeah. Very... And McGonagall glares at him and is not sure it's time for candy. But it's always time for candy because Albus Dumbledore is honestly pretty fucking dotty. <laughs> like, he's kind of, he's a mess. So, but Hagrid's great because he's, like, weirdly Harry's re most reliable, like, parental figure. Father figure, certainly. Uh-huh. Hagrid's a really a, a really wonderful through line, and he's a great per first person to meet because he he's not ever central in the sort of like big plots of the books, but he's always present, and he's and some of some of Harry's most important sort of like revelations and experiences happen in Hagrid's hut. And anyway, Hagrid's a great Hagrid's a great character. I'm glad we meet him. Go Hagrid. Go Hagrid. You do you. Maybe be a little more defensive about murder and a little less defensive about insulting your boss. Let's talk about Dying and Alley and Draco. Draco. What up? They meet at Madame Malkin's robe shop. To me, this is a great scene because it's the first wizard, young wizard Harry meets, and it shows that Harry, even though he's just come out of this horrible experience, all these new opportunities are unfolding in front of him. He's not thirsty. You know, he doesn't lose a sense of himself. He's still able to look at someone and assess whether they're good or bad. And Draco gives him bad feels. Even, you know, his first... I think a lot of people's first instinct would be to try to befriend the first... Right, Young or to like know, ingratiate you know? themselves uh -huh. with someone like Draco. This actually sets up one of the things that's a really important theme in this and also the next book, which is Harry's Gryffindorness, Harry's belonging in Gryffindor. And we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because we're not at the sorting yet, but Harry gets sorted into Gryffindor. But the sorting hat thinks about putting him in Slytherin. And I think when you, when this moment when we first meet Draco, you see 
that he is bold and he's self-sure and he's empathetic. And he's not yet, like, I would say the main characteristic of Slytherins is thirstiness for glory and wealth and status and status Slytherins are really thirsty and Harry you're right Harry has this moment where he meets this kid this kid who's clearly you know talks about being from like old wizard money and Mm -hmm. is like clearly like a cool guy it's Tom Felton in the movies he's really cute and (laughs) Harry is just like you know what you seem like a douche nozzle and I'm not gonna engage even though I'm this like skinny ass needy little wizard man and I'm brand new to this, and you could clearly protect me, and you could clearly be, like, a really strategic ally. Fuck you. You're very rude. Yeah. No, Harry shows a lot of character in this encounter. And you also learn, I mean, it also sets up some... Wizard of, racism. You get, yeah. I forgot that that was introduced in the first no, book. No, you immediately not, get... I think this might be the only mention, kind of, of it. Of the whole mudblood. No, you don't even get mudblood until yeah, book two. Yeah, not yet. But, you know, I, I'd forgotten that it was even alluded to. But you, right away you get that there are people in the wizarding world who have prejudices that are unkind. Right away, like, you get this incredibly wonderful news and right away she complicates this mm-hmm. world. Right away you meet this person and you find out not everything in the wizarding universe is all well and good. I also think it's it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow of it. It's just a shadow of it. I also think it's a great because Harry doesn't say like I'm famous as fuck, bro. Harry doesn't play his Harry Potter card with Draco. He already is showing a lot of restraint there too. He's just like, oh, my parents are dead. Not like, I'm sorry, can you look at my scar for five seconds? I'm the most famous wizard in the goddamn world. Yeah, he's, uh, he shows he's kind a lot of wise of, beyond his, uh, he's very he he's a wise little kid. He is, he's strategic and he's restrained and he's 100% a Gryffindor. But in a way that's not unbelievable. He's not no, no, like no. unbelievably noble. He's not, it's not noble. It's just this moment where he like shows the kind of person that he's right. going to grow into uh, in that's a way. Just a, that's, like, really delightful. Also, Draco is such a good bully. Like, Draco is just perfectly rendered in this first scene. Mm-hmm. His, like, weird speech patterns. <laughs> He's, like, meeting some random kid. He doesn't even bother to look at this kid's face. He's just, like, bragging about his dad. He's the worst. He's yeah. the worst so immediately. If anything, that's what's unbelievable in this section. Draco's so immediately fantastical dickishness. Yeah. So, do we want to talk about the wand? Oh, the wand. There is another iconic scene that is even better than I remember. This might be one of the best scenes in the <sighs> In the, in the series. series. Yeah. Ollivander's is just an epically wonderful place. And Mr. Ollivander, it's funny because you just know he's going to matter. You meet him for a quarter of a chapter... And he doesn't actually come back in this book, but you you get that, like, Ollivander's experience on this earth is going to, like, matter. Especially when we lay the first groundwork for the spooky series-spanning connection between Harry and Lord Voldemort. Yeah, and that comes so early. Ugh, and it's so good. The wand thing is so good. So, basically... Harry finds his wand. His wand chooses the wand. The wizard doesn't choose the wand. The wand chooses the wizard. 
and Mr. Ollivander tells him. I remember the first time I read this, I was just like, dang! <laughs> Mr. Ollivander tells him that the phoenix that gave a feather for Harry's wand gave two wand feathers, and the other one is the core of Lord Voldemort's wand. And then Ollivander's like, and that was kind of awesome. The wand chooses the wizard, remember? I think we must expect great things from you, Mr. Potter. After all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. Harry shivered. He wasn't sure he liked Mr. Ollivander too much. Ollivander's like, you know, I don't agree with everything Lord Voldemort did, but um, you know, I give it up to him. He's like, you know, Hitler was yeah. really organized. Yeah, or he's like, I don't like the Third Reich, but I'm really interested in its aesthetic. You yeah. know, he's like collecting yeah. a lot Ollivander of like, is Nazi like, eagles. Yeah, <laughs> Ollivander is like low-key Voldemort apologist. Oh, he's really, he's, he's in the wand lore. He's you know, into wand lore, the, uh, and he's just like, I don't, I'm I'm not here to judge if what your wand did was good or bad. I'm just saying your wand worked well. <laughs> no, I don't like, think he's pro I mean, no, well, this we get not. into it later. He's not a Voldemort apologist. He's not, but he has this interesting sort of amoral right. fascination with what wand chose Harry. But I mean, to be fair, it is fascinating. It starts Harry on this journey of trying to understand who he is in relation to this person who shaped his entire life. So much builds on that moment. So much builds on Harry and Voldemort's matching wands. Ugh, I love that part so much. It's like creepy too. Well, yeah, he says he's not sure he likes Ollivander. No, he's like not really into it because he's like, I don't... Also, yeah, also Harry must be thinking, well, I just heard about this guy Voldemort who straight up murdered my parents. And a lot of other people. Now yeah. you're going to give me... His wand twin? His wand twin? Like, twinsies! Yeah. It's, it's the first event in the long series of events of adults now really looking after Harry's emotional well-being. You have some ideas about Gringotts. I do have some ideas about Gringotts. In Diagon Alley, we also get our first look at the wizarding economy. I'm and start it's shite. Apparently, Gringotts is the only bank. It's the only bank Hagrid certainly knows of. Uh, he says it's the only bank. Presumably there are other banks in other wizarding countries. But, Do you think? Uh, I don't know, man. I, I guess Lon tell. London is a traditional financial is a capital. banking center. Presumably New York City has a wizarding bank. Ugh, I don't even want to get into her ideas yeah. about what happens in the, in, the, <laughs> in the wizarding world of America. So let's uh, strike that for the Anyway, it's, a, it's an all-cash economy. Yeah, everyone, there's no credit. <laughs> everyone keeps all their gold in, in safes. It really makes no sense. No, it really makes no sense. But uh, I did some back-of-the-napkin calculations. I tried to think, because at one point Harry wonders how many pounds are in a sickle. Mm -hmm. well, I didn't do pounds. I tried to do dollars. Okay. But we can kind of get a clue, because Harry, uh, Hagrid has Harry pay five canuts to the owl for the daily profit. Right. So there's 29 canuts to a sickle, 17 sickles to a galleon. I can quite do these calculations for, uh, you know, adjusting for inflation, but I figured if the daily profit is worth what today a New York Times is $2.50 on the newsstand. So five canuts to the daily profit, that means a canut's probably like a quarter, mm -hmm. 25 cents. There's 493 canuts in a galleon, and Harry pays 
seven, seven galleons, galleons for, his, for his magic wand, which gives us... So it's, there's about $123 in a galleon, mm-hmm. if you accept that it connotes 25 cents. So you pay seven galleons for a magic wand. So his magic wand cost about $862. What does that tell us? <laughs> Those just these are just wizarding exchange rates. I don't know. I wanted to know how much the wand cost. Well, now we have a wizarding exchange rate. Possibly. More yeah. importantly, just the wizarding economy is total nonsense. Everything about how wizards deal with money. No wonder they have a horribly stratified society where like only people born into the elite manage to like create wealth. Because there's no there's no like saving structure. Your wealth doesn't grow. Right. There's Arthur no Weasley credit. can't get a 401k. Right. Arthur Weasley, yeah, it's right. Also, nobody has... It's all piles of metal. Right. It's like if everybody was like a weird gold bug. It's like if you're, like your whole society was just like anti-federal reserve gold bug. Crazy people. Do you think libertarians really like Harry Potter for that reason? I don't know. If you're a libertarian and you really like the gold standard aspect of Harry Potter, <laughs> like, let us know. <laughs> well, it's actually, it's, it's bimetal. Because the bra, the canuts the are canuts bronze. The canuts are bronze. The sickles are silver. Are they, it's tri- oh, they're silver. It's trimetallism. Okay. What does that mean? So is that, that, is that, that means a thing? there should, theoretically, there should be a lot of cash in the economy. So, Quibble, the wizarding economy makes no sense at all. There's, this will be a theme we revisit again and again. Yeah. I predict. Because there is no means of wealth creation. The economics of Harry Potter. Um, the economics of Harry Potter are a disaster and probably a big part of why there's this like massive social unrest that Voldemort capitalizes on. Also, if Harry's parents had just invested that money instead of just storing it underground, 11 years, put Harry in like be- an IRA, like yeah. a Roth, like an education, not a Roth, an education IRA, I guess they're in England, so it's also weird a that different. Harry doesn't know how much money he has. He just has to eyeball it. <laughs> he just walks into a safe and he's like, seems like there's a lot of gold in here. Yeah, that ought to be enough for a couple terms. Oh my God. <laughs> It's because it's a book for children, and we understand we that. We get this. We get that kids... But it's fun to deconstruct. But it is fun to think a little bit about how the wizarding economy is probably at the root of a lot of wizard social unrest. $862 for a magic wand. What do you think? Fair price? Yeah. I think that's a bargain, actually. It's a bargain. It's I was kind of wondering. I think it would be like thousands of dollars. I mean, that, <sighs> seems pretty, that seems pretty cheap for... The thing you literally do everything with yeah. your whole lot, like uh, it's an iPhone. Your porthole to uh, it's an iPhone, but like weirdly worse in a lot of ways. Yeah, wizards don't have the internet. To be fair, what this happens in the nineties? This is like early nineties. Still, I mean, wizards don't have electricity, so they're missing. They're missing out on the internet boom. They are, which is good because yeah. that's how their that's how their newspaper stays yeah. at a reasonable <laughs> price. At twenty, at, at five canuts uh, per okay. copy of the Daily Prophet. Key takeaways. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero. Oh my God, Dudley Dursley. Chapter. Dudley's your unsung. No, he's not. A, there's nothing heroic about him in the beginning. I know, but I just. It's not like. No, he can't be your unsung hero. Fine. Okay, you do one then. He's your. Maybe he. We need a new, a different category. Well, for let's Dudley. just do unsung hero. You do yours. Mine would be probably McGonagall. Oh, she's my unsung hero in every chapter, though. Like, yeah. that's, that's a whole other thing. McGonagall's the only... She's paying attention. McGonagall is paying attention. It is true. Mention of Sirius Black in the first yeah. chapter. Sirius Black and uh, his motorcycle, which Hagrid borrows, so that's going to come back and be really important. Forgot about that, actually. So how are you feeling overall? First five chapters? Psyched. I love it. 
so excited. I'm super psyched to get onto the Hogwarts Express, which happens next time around. I'm just blown away by how epic it is right off the bat. Right off the bat. Now, I forget, you know, you think of, we kind of we forget. We We kind of forget that Sorcerer's Stone is so foundational. Because, yeah. you know, the other books are so large and all these, they have all these big epic events. They do, but, and they have uh, higher stakes. But this you know. book works Almost on its own. Yeah, I mean, well, it does. You, you, uh, she started really strong. And I think, in a lot of ways, I think it's the best constructed. I think it's among the best constructed in the series. It's not my favorite, partly because we're still missing a lot of the really, like, we're right. missing a lot of characters. It just is going to get better and better, but... But you can you can just tell reading this is, I mean, something, you really get, spe- this is you, something really special. Right, you this get why your this ordinary... became a, a, a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. This is not your ordinary middle grade series fiction. This is... Excellent. It is immediately excellent. I'm really proud of JK. She wrote a really good book. And I'm really proud of us because we actually recorded an episode of this thing. I think we're officially podcasters now once this goes live. I guess so. I mean, I think the bar is extremely low, but um, (laughs) we crossed over it. Yes. So like little horses doing dressage. There's nothing, we don't have a more magical metaphor than that. We're like... Have you ever seen dressage? Yeah, I guess dressage is pretty magical. Totally pretty magical. magical. All right. Well, it's as if we crossed the barrier to nine and three quarters. Speaking of which... Speaking of which, next week's chapters for the Quibbler will be the journey from platform nine and three quarters and the sorting hat. So not too many, not too much to read, but very dense. Uh, this week, the audiobook clips that you heard were from the audiobook version of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, narrated by the incomparable Jim Dale, which is available on Audible and at Pottermore and I guess wherever audiobooks are sold. Yeah, they not, are not they're paying not our us. sponsor, but if you wanted to be... Yeah, if they wanted to pay us, that'd be uh, great. All we're saying is the audiobooks are great and we love Jim Dale. Jim Dale, we love you. In the meantime, this week's episode is brought to you by Grunning's Drills. Reasonably priced drills for reasonable people. Thanks, everybody.